This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Claret Star, the jam-packed festive period with games against Leeds United and Sheffield United. It's the None and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this very special festive edition of the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Joint. Natalie jo- that is the second time I've done that. Listeners, in the preview show, I had to edit this out massively. I think I must trip over my words because I keep saying, I'm your host, Natalie Joining. That's not my name. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley. And joining me this week, which is much better, are regular Known and Never panellists, Richard Steele and George Poole. George, Richard, welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. Good evening. Good evening, Natalie. Evening. So from now on in, I will only answer to Natalie joining. I don't, I don't really know what's going on with my words at the moment. Um, we have lots to talk about. Uh, well, we actually, we have lots to talk about and we don't have lots to talk about, really. Uh, we've got two games that the Clarets have played over the festive period, which are, of course, Leeds United away and Sheffield United at home. The two Uniteds. And uh, whilst the performances were probably very similar, the results were very, very different. We, of course, fell to a loss away at Leeds under... I think you could say controversial circumstances, um, but managed to get three points against Sheffield United. So we will have a look at both of those games and where better than to start, but with that just so annoying loss away at Leeds. Um, Rich, I'll come to you first. Um, we always knew that out of the two of them, that away tie at Leeds was going to be a tough one, but it was a, it was a bitter pill to swallow in the end, I think. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say um, I'm broadcasting from Ireland uh, tonight, which is a bit of a change for myself. So hopefully there's a few Irish clavets listening. Um, I'm currently in Cavern, uh, so spending the Christmas uh, with the missus' family, which is very nice. So um, if, if there's any Irish clavets listening to this, then uh, yeah, then uh, tag the known in ever podcasting and we'll see where you're listening in from um, in Ireland. Excellent. So. Yeah, so that hopefully we can we can do that and see if there's any fellow Burnley fans in Cavern as well. Um, Whereabouts is Cavern, Rich? So Cavern, so Cavern's just on the it's in the Republic, but it's just on the border from the north. So it's quite a quite a country type place, but yeah, uh, it's been really nice to spend uh, Christmas over here for a change and yeah, get away from the doom know. and gloom of of England. But it's not too much better oh. here. But yeah, it's still been nice. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like yeah. I'll, I said uh, pre-show that Leeds was a defeat that has hurt, hurt the most this season. Obviously, there's a little bit of rivalry between the clubs. Um, you know, everybody's kind of jumping on the bandwagon and saying Leeds is a favourite second team, or supposedly that's what the media want you to believe. But they're definitely not my first second team. Let's be sure. Um, but yeah, just everything just seemed to go against us. I thought we played really well second half. Just maybe lacked a little bit of quality or didn't finish the chances that we have. And obviously, I'm sure we'll come on to it. I can't remember seeing a worse referee. And, you know, sometimes when you analyse the game and you take the emotion out of it, you kind of rationalise the referee's performance a little bit. But this fellow was absolutely shocking. Um, And that disallowed goal just kind of, yeah, it still hurts now, even with a win we got last night. 
Yeah, I think I think there's there's a couple of decisions that uh, we need to analyse um, at both ends of the pitch, which we'll come on to in a minute. Uh, but George, I think I think Rich pretty much summed it up a little bit there. I think apart from the two goal instances, there wasn't an awful lot to dissect to the game. But I think from my perspective, I think it was quite a disappointing first half, and uncharacteristically for us as well, quite a poor defensive display. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, we obviously, uh, well, first of all, I just wanted to say I hope you both had a really nice Christmas, first podcast after Christmas. Um, but yeah, I definitely Thank thought we just, uh, we just obviously just, we didn't really wake up in the first few minutes and a long ball over the top and both centre-backs were caught out a bit. And well, we'll come on to discuss whether it actually was a penalty, but you know, we, we gave Bamford that chance to begin with. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you actually. First half, probably a bit off the boil, but I don't think there's much to complain about the second half. I thought we put in a really good shift. Got to try to get forward and did try and get into some attacking places, but just nothing really clicked for us on the day. And I think it was just one of them days where nothing really falls for you. So from my end, there's not, not too many complaints about the performance, just maybe, as we've alluded to, a couple of complaints about the referee. Yeah, definitely. Um, Rich, I think generally speaking, we are seem to be in a perceived away game problem at the moment. I was looking at some stats before we went on air tonight. Um, we've only won one away game in the last eight, and we've not scored any away goals in nine hours and 23 minutes. Um, I think one of the overall feelings for me for both the, both of the games, actually, is just doesn't feel like we're creating a massive amount of chances at the moment um and it just feels a little bit like we're only getting maybe one or two in the game yeah I think so I think obviously for all our pressure in the Leeds game we should have created more clear-cut chances but you know we you know we still had opportunities I don't want to bang on about it too much because I'll I'll get shouted at by uh, the panelists but you know in both games Wood missed big, big chances again um you know we missed mm. He missed one against Leeds, were at the back post. And, you know, maybe you can say the defender did enough. I think it was Luke Ayling, but I think Lawton put a lovely ball in. And, you know, it was only about three yards out and he's headed it over. Barnes had a couple of pot shots. Rodriguez had a chance on the volley, but he's, he looked like he's, he was struggling with injury. So I don't know if it affected it. But, yeah, you know, we, we, we are that type of team, aren't we? We're not going to create loads of chances. And this is where... With the takeover, hopefully we can sign, you know, pay a little bit more money to, you know, to get those creative players in because, you know, it kind of got to about the 70 minute mark for me. And despite all the effort, I kind of got the feeling it wasn't going to be our day. I thought our set pieces were poor against Leeds, you know, which is a big threat for us, which, which didn't help. I thought we targeted um, the goalkeeper too much. It, but again, yeah, a little bit frustrating, you know, but. Like, like you said, that's where you kind of pay your extra money, isn't it, for those higher quality players who yeah. can create those chances? Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with the Chris Wood problem at the moment, actually, Rich. And I know that you've been slightly out on your own with this um, feeling and disappointment at Chris Wood, particularly this season. And whilst we've all been uh, teasing you a little bit, and, and very, and I'm I'm a massive Chris Wood fan, I, I just don't know. Certainly not at the moment. I can with any credibility defend him um because he is he's just he's in a really poor run at the moment he just doesn't look sharp he doesn't look confident in front of goal um now obviously we, we know for the Leeds game we had no fit wingers at all um is that is that just it do you think do you think that's all that the problem is rich or do you think there's there's a different problem because it's not just wood like you say it's jay as well is it just that we're not creating enough from midfield I think, yeah, obviously, not having your, your wingers massively help. If you put any team out there and they've not got any fit wingers and you kind of... Listen, we're putting a left-back on the wing who's not a very attacking left-back and you've got a young lad who, to me, is going to be a very good player but and he's a central midfielder. You're putting him out wide, so of course it affects it massively. And But it's all the ifs or buts. If Brady and, and McNeil was playing, would we have scored? Obviously, that's all hypothetical. I think it's a little bit of both. I think, for me... Moving forward, um, 
I don't I don't know how far you want me to go into this, but you've asked me the question. I think Brownhill has really cemented his place in the team. I think you look at midfield, and if we do want to start creating more chances, we we you know we do maybe need a bit more of a creative midfielder than what Westwood's offering. Even though I'm a massive fan of Westwood, but he doesn't kind of other than set pieces, he, he doesn't really get that many assists or doesn't create that many key passes. And and I think it's time if he's not maybe willing to use Vidra now. You know, to get a younger striker and who's 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 got a little bit of pace, um, you know, and who can get in behind the defence because everything that we're playing at the moment is kind of with our strikers back to goal. So we're playing it up to him and they're laying it off with someone. You know, George mentioned it before and obviously um I don't think Banford's Burnley fans biggest uh, biggest, you know, kinda you know, fan ever, but you know, it 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 got him behind for that goal, and in you know, when he split the centre arse, and we've we've got no one to do that. So I think it's a bit of a combination of lacking creative midfielders, lacking maybe a bit of creativity in the central of the park, and almost you know lacking a little bit of a you know of a different option up front as well, which hopefully we we can address if it's not this January in the summer. Yeah, no, that that's perfect. That's that's kind of where I was getting at, at the moment because I think it, it's really difficult because according to Dash, they are practicing chances and they're practicing their shooting in um, training, and apparently the front two are banging them in for fun. And Dash has come out on record saying he's scratching his head a little bit because he doesn't quite understand why the goals aren't going in in the games. And I'm just trying to get. It's not just Chris Wood, it's Wood and Jay are both struggling at the moment. They just don't look themselves. And actually, even though I was critical, worried about bringing Ashley Barnes back into the equation because I don't particularly like Wood and Barnes up front as, as a as a favoured strike for us. You can't argue with the effect that Barnes has had since he came on the pitch and certainly against Wolves and Sheffield United, I thought he was fantastic. Um, so I'm just trying to get to the bottom really of whether or not it's a midfield slash winger problem or whether it's a striker problem. Um, but I think, I think we can probably both agree um, that even though we're still behind the curve in terms of chances creating, we are doing better than we have been doing recently. We are playing a bit more positive. Um, George, let's dive straight in there to the to the two main talking points of that Leeds game. Um, not a great start, obviously. There was just nine minutes on the clock when we conceded that penalty. Um, we might as well ask the question, penalty for you or not? Uh, no, to be honest, I think to be on on first glance when I just saw it in real time, I thought, oh yeah, classic penalty. Pope's rushed out and you know taking his man down. But then once I saw the replay, he he definitely got the ball. And I don't I don't understand why you can't get the ball and a bit of the man anymore. Like football's become, becoming a a non-contact sport. Like the the pundits will say, oh yeah, he got a bit of the ball, but he took out the man. He got he made contact with the striker. It's like well. Yeah, it, it should be a contact sport. If he wins the ball, he wins the ball. So, for me, Port wins the yeah. ball there. And on VAR, fair enough, giving it in real time penalty. Yeah, okay. But I just don't understand really why VAR's not had a look there. And I think Port can count himself unlucky because it is hard when you're put under pressure like that and you're coming, at, you're rushing out. You know, eight times out of ten, the keeper gives away a, a penalty there. So I, I think he does, he does really well to get a ball, a foot on the ball. And I think we're just really unlucky with that penalty. For me, it, it should have been overturned on VAR, but um, I think we're just we're really struggling with VAR. Yeah, I don't understand because VAR did look at because they have to look at every decision, but they looked at it in lightning speed. And considering how long they take over decisions, you know, they'll they'll analyse and they'll stop for game for three or four minutes to analyse whether or not somebody's offside by a, an armpit or a toenail. They literally they they looked at it for about ten seconds and just determined straight away that it was a penalty. And I just I don't know the rules, and perhaps somebody could could tweet us. And I tried to have a look before I came on air, but. All I keep hearing from Leeds fans and from Sky pundits is that, oh, well, the referee, you know, it's definitely a penalty because the referee cannot come out like that in a reckless manner that he did. And it's like, well, to me, that's not the rule for getting a penalty. The rule is, you know, did he get any of the ball or did he take the man out? And he clearly gets the ball first. I'm just I'm just a bit gobsmacked. And Rich, it doesn't help, does it, when everybody on the, the, the punditry side of it just seems to not be highlighting this as a problem. Natalie, I thought Just... you made an e- sorry, I thought you made an excellent point there, Natalie, and that was something I was going to bring up if you know, because you're coming to me, was that whether it was a penalty or not, it was just it didn't get looked at at all. Um, no. I watched a game earlier in the season and viewers might have listened to it too, where Brighton against Aston Villa, where there was a penalty 
I can't remember whether it was given or not given, but they looked at it for so long, you know, whether there was a little touch on the ball. And on this one, it was kind of like nothing happened at all. And for me, it wasn't even a reckless challenge. He had to come out because his defenders lost a man. So he come off his line to try and win the ball, which he did. To me, it just wasn't a penalty. Um, It didn't come out reckless. It wasn't a dangerous tackle. He won the ball first. And I think if it got properly scrutinised, then it would have been... um, then it would have been overturned. And the media... Re- oh, we've lost Rich. Oh, listeners, we've lost Rich. We're going to try and get him to, get him to come back, but I think we've lost him halfway through. So, George, do you want to pick up where he was going? Because I think he was just about to say that we just, for some reason, uh, I think they were saying that the VAR didn't look at it and for some reason people just haven't even scrutinised. And I, th- I think we've got Rich back. Rich, are you there? Yes, I'm there, viewers. Uh, I think it's... <laughs> It's uh, the connection's a bit unstable in Ireland compared to back home. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> is this yeah. why you told us that you're in Ireland? So just so we knew we were going to have yeah, technical just, problems. <laughs> yeah, just in case we knew. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but anyway, <laughs> hopefully it should be working now for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> right. You, was, you started to talk about the, the media. And you were saying I think that, that we were talking about VAR. Um, did, didn't really look at it probably, and you were talking about that. Yeah, I think it's obviously kind of going back to. Were you know the media with Leeds at the moment, the kind of the favourite darling, and you you know what I do understand it in some ways because listen, you know they've 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 come up and you know you see the result they had against West Brom, you know, they do play attractive football at, at at times, but I think sometimes it's just a little bit of an overkill, and I think for the pundits rather than actually getting into a debate where you know maybe the listeners weren't too happy. It's probably just an easy excuse to go, oh, yeah, it was a penalty, but Burnley's goal should have, you know, should have stood anyway. It's just kind of a bit of an easy cop out, in my opinion. And fair play, you know, to two ex Blackburn players, Savage and Sutton, they kind of seem to, <laughs> you know, they seem to analyse it in more detail and actually said, you know what, it's actually not a penalty when you watch it properly and take your time. It's it's kind of Pope's won the ball clearly. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm just, I'm really annoyed that it that it's ended up being that way. But I think it's it's just a fight we're not going to win because, you know, I would love to see what it would be like if it was like Burnley against City or City against Leeds or, or heaven forbid, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool against Leeds because you can guarantee that that would be looked at in a lot more depth. And I don't even know, you know, if, if that was if that was Liverpool defence conceding against Bamford, I, th- th- there's no way it would have been given. And it just, like I say, VAR just didn't look at it at all and nobody seems to be fighting the fight for us and like you say uh, Sutton and, and um, Savage seem to do um, but George it went from bad to worse on the other end because as much as we can keep the penalty in well you can argue it both ways territory the the decision to disallow Ashley Barnes fantastic strike to equalise was just bizarre absolutely bizarre it was bizarre, but it was also just one in a number of incidents following the pattern of goalkeepers being far, far too well protected by referees. I, I think the game, the, the, the entire game has just gone that way. And I, I think it, it really needs to be looked at because whenever somebody gets close to touching the goalkeeper or, you know, just even just stands in his way a bit, the goalkeeper gets the advantage and gets the, the free kick, even though the goalkeepers have the extra advantage of using two arms. So that that thing just really annoys me. But on the incident itself, yeah, so obviously the ball comes in, me goes up for the header, which he's got every right to go for. He doesn't raise his elbows or anything. And the goalkeeper just sort of runs into his back, knocks him down. You know, it should probably be a penalty. But forgetting that, if it's not a penalty, OK, you know, fair enough. But Barnes hits it and, you know, he he scores a wonderful goal. And yet it's disallowed for a foul on the goalkeeper. I, I can't just make any sense of it. And I'm not too sure. I don't know if maybe either of you two know whether it wasn't overturned because of VAR because he'd already blown his whistle. Uh, and if so, then the referee shouldn't be blowing his whistle that early. Uh, does anyone know about that? Yeah, no, I think that's that's the official thing is that because the referee blew his whistle for the foul, the VAR couldn't then look at the at the goal because it wasn't a goal to look at. Um, so the referee has just made a ridiculous error in just not letting the play go because if he just doesn't blow his whistle for just a two or three seconds, the ball's in the back of the net and he doesn't have to make that decision. It goes to VAR. Um, now, you know, everybody makes mistakes and we are told that this was this referee's, it's only his fourth ever Premier League fixture and he simply wasn't used to VAR and how it works. But 
that to me is just shocking. It's like, it, yes, I understand that people need to build experience and build confidence, but you just don't put somebody out in a live game until you've given them all of the competency tests that they need and they know the rules inside out. Yeah, exactly. And it, it points to another thing with this referee, which I noticed during the game. It was just like, stop, start, stop, start. He was just, you know, hungry to blow his whistle and, and to stop the flow of the game. And I think it contrasted brilliantly with the performance of... Uh, I think his name's Chris Kavanagh, the referee from last night. Mm, um, I noticed yeah. before. I noticed before the kickoff that the Amazon commentators made a, a good note of in his last something like you know like two years, let's say he's given one red card and and not and he's not given one for for ages and ages. And it just points to the fact that he he lets the game flow. And it was exactly the same last night. There was a lot of rough and tumble. It was a tight affair. But there wasn't many free kicks given and he just let the game flow. No. And, it, and it was so much better for the viewer at home. And it allowed the game to just continue at a pace. And the players knew they were in for a scrap, they were in for a battle. It was a proper football game. So I, I think that contrasted brilliantly with the, the inexperience and frankly, just ineffective display shown by the referee at the weekend. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think Rich and I both agreed with you when you said that point before we came on air that it really was an excellent performance by the referee last night um, for the Sheffield United game. Um, I just, I'm just, I'm infuriated at the moment because none of us are a fan of VAR. It's just proving to give some ridiculous outcomes to games. And, and it's just, this is the richest league in the world and it's the most watched league in the world and it sets itself out to be world leaders in terms of everything that it does and the standard of refereeing and the standard of of officiating is just quite frankly appalling and there has to be a better solution to this and to me I think they just keep trying to fix the wrong problems you know they bring VAR in to try and level the playing field and 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 overrule clear and obvious errors and sort out handballs and sort out penalties and, you know, basically pick up on things that referees have missed. But then they put a ridiculous amount of rules on there of when and when VAR can't be used. Now, to me, the, the very fact that we've got this VAR that's supposed to help referees in overturning and helping out in clear and obvious errors, but they couldn't use it because the referee blew the whistle. Well, the referee blowing the whistle was the error. So why can't VAR be used to overturn the referee's clear and obvious error by blowing his whistle. It's just, it drives me mad that these ridiculous rules are in there to stop us being able to, because all, all that needs to be done there is that in those circumstances, VAR is allowed to challenge the referee and then we get that goal and it stands. Or even if it's not a goal and, and they, they don't want to give that, at least give the penalty. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm just infuriated. And we don't, none of us know whether the game ends 1-1, you know, they, that might have given Leeds a kick and they might have really pushed on and, and won the game um, from that. We might have gone on to win it, win it, who knows? But to not even have that narrative or not even have that option to be able to change a game is infuriating and it always seems to happen to us. Um, and that that cost us, you know, that, that's three three points that we could, it's a point at least, but, it, you know, it, it, it's a game that we've ended up losing and it, and it could have knocked our confidence because we were on a really good run. Now, luckily... We're moving on to the second game that we're analysing this podcast. It didn't. And the Clarets put in a unbelievably efficient and professional display at home to Sheffield United. Of course, right at the bottom of the table, just two points from 16 games, I believe now, um, and looking pretty much like they're going to be going back to the Championship next season. Um Rich, it certainly wasn't pretty. It certainly wasn't entertaining, but what a profoundly disciplined performance by the Clarets last night. Listen, a win's a win, isn't it? As they say. Um, did you? I've, I've got. To, did you enjoy it, Natalie? No, not at all. I did not enjoy one minute of that game. I I enjoyed it <laughs> afterwards when I was having a. I enjoyed it afterwards with a few beers of uh, with a few glasses of Peroni, but during the game, I I didn't enjoy it to be honest. It was um, listen, it, I was very nervous before the game. Um, I know you, Natalie, in our group chat was very confident that was going to brush Sheffield aside, um, and it definitely wasn't the case. I, I actually thought they played well, and probably they did overall. They did, you know, they probably deserved the point, but I think that just shows how we know how we're at this level, maybe compared to teams like Sheffield mm. United, and, and that's why they're struggling. You know, it for me, the kind of the whole game changed on Taylor getting injured. 
you, you could see probably yeah, every. You know, I, I thought at that point, Barnes had that chance. You know, we were looking confident. And the old team seemed to go, oh, bloody hell. You know, because for me this season, probably, yeah. I know me has kind of had the biggest impact and we'll get the headlines because since he's come in, we've started winning and rightly so. But I think overall, you know, both from an attacking and a defensive point of view, Taylor's been my player of the year so far. He's actually had this season, he's, big, he's been our biggest attacking threat. You know, fantastic going down that left. No, I can't think of many better players in the league who carry the ball so well uh, from from the full-back position. So we we were really cagey after that, and then we got back into the game. You know, scored a good you know was a good header for me, but then second half was turgid, wasn't it? Really tough. Really, but we but I thought off the ball was fantastic. You know, I'm talking about Westwood there. Kind of you know maybe if you do want to improve, you might need someone a little bit more creative. But I thought him and Browner were were, were superb in the middle. You know, two centre out or all the you know Peters fair play to him. I thought he did well coming in at left back. Lawton special mention for him. I think he's been massively improved the last few weeks. And yeah, it was kind of just a. I was just so relieved. You know, get that game done. Uh, final whistle, three points in the bag because yeah, it definitely wasn't pretty uh, to watch. I'm the same as you, Rich. I, I thought you know as soon as Taylor went off, it was like oh bugger. And, you know, we had we had a good maybe 20 minutes then of Sheffield United being on top as well. And just a, a, just a mention on Taylor, I think, I'm pretty sure last season there was a similar stat where I think Peters obviously started the season, did all right, he had loads of assists, and then Taylor came back in and we, we barely conceded, you know, for the next 10 or 15 games, we had a really good defensive record. And the same has happened this season, obviously, Taylor's come in, me's come in, and, and you know, our defence is looking really really solid at the moment so I think the sooner we can get Taylor back you know the better hopefully it's not a bad injury but it was just I, I found it entertaining you know myself I, I love watching us defend Wonder leads it's my it's my bread and butter I, I think I've got Stockholm <laughs> syndrome you know from from yeah, watching Dice right. over the years but it's my bread and get butter in, watching us defending so I absolutely loved it you know just seeing us you know compact Sheffield United throwing themselves at us, but they, they, they had no chance. I mean, that that the the header that was cleared off the line from Brownhill, there's there's nothing to worry about yeah. there. The amount of times we do that because Dyche has them set up. If it doesn't go to to like this man's side of the the the, the penalty box, he drops back onto the goalpost and we clear it off the line. It's just really well drilled, and I thought Chris Wilder spoke really well about it after the game. You know, he gave us all the credit in the world. Really well defended, and yeah, I found it entertaining and a cracking one nil win and a professional job. My God, George, you are a glutton for punishment. I did not find a single bit of it entertaining, apart from around the thirty seconds when we scored. Um, it's a difficult one to analyse, really. And I have spoke about this before. Um, fundamentally, football is an entertainment sport, and as a football fan. I want to be entertained and watching Burnley at the moment is really difficult because it, it isn't entertaining and it's very difficult and it's very uncomfortable to watch. Now, Burnley, the supporter, wants that because we've, we need the results and we want to stay in the Premier League. And if that's what it takes to get the points, then I understand that. Now, the problem is, is that the riches of the Premier League and the distribution of funds across each of the football leagues have turned football from an entertainment game to a results game for basically those teams that aren't multi-billionaires at the top of the table. Um, So the supporter in me understands that we have to grind out the results because we want to win. And I think that's the difference. But the football fan in me does want to see entertainment football come back to Turf Moor at some point because it is getting difficult to watch. And I don't know how longer we can keep churning this out this way but I think what Rich said earlier on once the takeover happens and we've got some money to spend in in the transfer windows hopefully those kind of players will come back and especially I want to to answer and I think that's probably why sorry um losing Charlie Taylor is so much of a blow as Rich said we lost our main attacking threat last night which was very difficult but I think on that same vein um, Rich I want to just give another nod to Robbie Brady who I think this time since he came back from injury has been fantastic Brilliant really surprised me um, I thought he was done he, I think he came on in a, I think he came on in the Brighton game was it the Brighton game? Oh, there was one game. He, he come. Oh no, it was Palace at home. He come on for about oh, eight was. minutes and he went off injured. I thought oh, I've had enough now. But you know what? 
fair play to him and he's getting better with every game you know some of it he had two deliveries you know the cross for wood which created the corner was a fantastic ball in you know he, and he should be you know and you know I'm not going to go over it but probably should have scored and then the corner was fantastic you listen I've been beating these corners this year uh, you know I have Natalie I, I thought I would call <laughs> I, I, I'll say it our corners against Leeds were shocking. I know George doesn't maybe agree. We just literally hit it straight at that Leeds keeper every time and he punched everyone away. The corner that he put in was on the six-yard line and it, and it gives our players a chance to get the head on it and score. Yeah, really impressed with him. and We still need another winger. 100% need a winger. But, you know what, third play to him, he's come in. You know, he's, I can't imagine it's easy having all those injuries mentally and physically doing all your rehab to come in. And you know what? He works his nuts off too. It's not like he comes yeah, in and, you know, when he just wants to play on the wing and do the attacking stuff. He, he's up and down that line. So, you know what? Yeah, fair play to him. And he was, you know, when he was very, very good last night. And I thought he was, um, you know, over these last few games, you could hardly say he's, he's been our best player. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we, we we I just want to have another quick look at the other another three players as well who've been finding themselves in the squad recently. Um obviously we've talked about the importance of Charlie Taylor. We've given credit to um Robbie Brady for his impact since he came back. I've just had a quick look now and we've talked about the importance of Ben Mee coming back into the side. We've only conceded three goals in the eight games since Ben Mee returned. That is phenomenal. I hadn't realised just the impact that Ben Mead had. Um, but George, there's three other players who've been having to, to cover recently, and that is obviously Josh Benson, Dale Stevens, and Eric Peters. Um, I know particularly Stevens isn't everybody's cup of tea at the moment. I know he's not been great. But actually, I think when those three over the last three games needed to come in and deputise, I think all three of them have done very well overall. Do you think that's fair? To be honest, when he came on at Leeds, I thought Stevens was brilliant. I, I know, I really, yeah, and I, I I'm sure, I, I know Tom said the same. Uh, I thought, you know, he just got his foot on the ball, calmed things down, passed it forward, and I thought, I thought he looked like a, a, a decent player. And I'm, I know, I know, Rich says, yeah, he's he's a, he's pretty slow, but you know, Jack Cooks and all you saying Bolt, and we still love him. He still does a job for us. So I, I do like the look of Stevens. You know, I don't think he's got a real chance in the side yet. So I think. You know, once if he gets a few games here and there because of injuries or coming on to defend lead, you know, I think he's a good signing at the end of the day. Um, who else? Uh, Benson, to be honest, on the right right wing, I think looks pretty lost. Uh, you know, he does a cracking like yeah. defensive job for the team, but you know, going forward and just his positioning, I just don't think he. And you know, no, no, it's no slating him. Obviously, he's a centre mid and he's a youngster. Um, you know, it's it, it feels a bit harsh to be pointed him out like that but I just do think he's a bit lost but at the same time we've got no one to play there and we don't really want to move Brownhill because he's doing such a cracking job in centre mid mm. and then ever since Peter signed for us I've liked him for dependable player played well again when he had to go to left back last night so I, you know I think all, all three have done pretty well recently but again I must say the same as Rich and, and you Natalie sing the praises of Robbie Brady I've been for ages knocking him, you know, his injuries, and it just it annoys me, obviously. It probably annoys him more than it annoys me. But we're finally seeing the best of him, you know, the pre-Leicester 2017 Robbie Brady. And I think in the last few games, he's been our, our top top performer, and long may it last, because he just offers such quality on the ball and such a brilliant delivery of, of the ball. I mean, at the weekend, no, was it, it was last night. Uh, it was last night when he put, he put that ball in for Wood. And Lord knows how their keeper saved that. And then obviously he's followed it up with a corner assist. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, it really is good to see. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's looking rich to the whole world now that the ALK takeover is about to happen. Um, Certainly by the time January transfer windows open, they should be in charge. Um, we are told, although we don't yet know, we are told that there is money available to Daesh in the January transfer window for some players. Let's say we get no more than three players in. Where do you strengthen? Well, I think right back to Central. Uh, well, sorry, I'd say the right side of him. But... In this window, though? Yeah. 
because yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, right, let me start again. I kind of didn't. Right, the number one position is obviously a winger. Um, as well as Brady's done, his body could break down again uh, any time. And at the end of the day, listen, he's done well, but are we judging him on what he's been before? Do you get what I mean? Without just to give it a bit of a balanced view, he's still not kind of an amazing, is he? Do you know when you watch other? Do you get what I'm being harsh? I'm, I'm not sure. Are we just kind of judging that off, or he's is is doing well because he's not got injured? Do you know? I, I don't know. Maybe True. I'm wrong. Do you know? Do, do you get what I mean? If I'm just trying to have a balanced view, I think I was singing his praises, but I still think we need a winger um, desperately. Yeah, for me, we need a right back. I think Lawton's had a few good games and he does a solid job, but he's he's a bit too slow and you know he still dives in quite a lot. But if that waits to the summer, you know when we continue the season with Lawton and Bardsley, that's fine. Um, I think we need another. It's a funny one because like. Central midfield, we've got a lot of players, but we've not we're, we're missing a player that we need there. If that makes sense, we need someone who can really get hold of the ball and dictate play. Listen, we might. I know we always go back to Defoe and you know what a player he was, but that's the kind of mold of a player we need. Something a little bit different who can get the game by the scruff, uh, the scruff in the net when we're struggling, create a chance when maybe no nobody else can. Me personally, I would like to see another striker. Um, I think Vidra. I, I think Vidra's been unlucky, but I think if we can cash in on Vidra, I think he's quite keen on the move. And then we can get a younger striker with a little bit of pace. You know, I know we've been linked with Tyrese Campbell at Stoke, who's highly rated. I kind of say those are the main positions that I would look to get. And then maybe let mm. Benson then go out on loan to a championship club. Um, oh, sorry, actually. No, instead of right back, instead of right back I think we need a centre-half. Actually, I think that's really important that we get adequate backup to me and Tarkin. Yeah. Because, you know, Long and, and uh, Dunn aren't, aren't good enough. Although Dunn might be in time, but he's not at the moment. Excellent. George, same question to you. You've got three, maximum three players coming in by ALK, and we're going to get more in in the summer. So who do you prioritise? What positions do you prioritise this window? Sorry, I'm just laughing at Rich saying we need bloody lords in the comments. <laughs> He's not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> Why are you limited to this screen, Daphne? Why? No, I didn't say this was going to be easy. I didn't, you know, I don't want you guys thinking you can just come onto this podcast and breeze through it and just have easy things. You know, you've only got three. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, well, with my three, I'm picking, a, I'm picking two wingers because we've got Yoanni breaks down and Robbie Brady both break down. So we need two wingers, like that's just a fact, because McNeil also, obviously he's getting arrested at the moment because he's injured, but before before uh, he got injured, he, he did look like he needed a rest and maybe just like some burden taken off taken off his shoulders. So for mm-hmm. me, two of them transfers immediately put on wingers and I think, you know, something may be a little bit different with a bit of pace down the wing. Um, you know, that, that could be the, the thing that, opens up our creativity a bit more. So two two wingers, they're, they're ticked off my list now. And then mm, I'd probably say a right back, you know, get it sorted now because Bardsley, Bardsley in the summer will probably be released. He only got an, another one-year deal. And to be honest, Lawton, I think that's one area of the pitch we can definitely improve. Um, I think, you know, we, we I'd love us to get a, a nice young right back who's, you know, got a bit about him, can put a really good ball in. You know, similar to Taylor on the other side, I think a right back, could, you know, a young one would be a really a good sign. It's there the free for me, but obviously a lot depends on whether Tarks goes. Now, there's been no rumours about it lately, but he obviously did that interview. Um, the club will want to cash in before next summer if he isn't if if he is set on leaving. But you know, I've, I've I'm led to believe it's it's not just you know um, his wages and that's the issue. You know, I, I've been led to believe that there's a possibility of us keeping him. So if AOK can come in and, you know, get that signed down, that'd be, you know, I know, I know it's cliche, but that'd be, you know, a signing in itself. But yeah, so two wingers and a right back, that's my uh, checklist done. Excellent. Well, I think I'm going to go slightly differently for you. Um, I want to bring a centre-half in as well. I agree with Rich. Uh, for a slightly different reason, I think my rationale for that is I do expect Tarky to go in the summer, even if ALK manage to try their... Well, even if they don't, we probably won't manage, but even if they try their best to convince Tarky that there's money to spend, that players are going to come in and we're going to cement ourselves as a as a top half of the Premier League club, um, so he should stay and enjoy that success with us. I just I think Tarky's time's up. I think his, his England aspirations and the... 
um, the lack of opportunities there will see him go. Um, so I want to bring a centre-half in now to be working with him, with uh, Tarki and me and the um, and, and Long as well, just to, so that when Tarki does go in the summer, he's ready to step in and he's not brand new. We're not looking for somebody in the summer. Um, winger, yes, absolutely. Somebody who can, uh, of Defoe's quality, who can uh, who can score goals and is great at set pieces, etc., etc. And for me, a striker. Um, I think that we need a bit more competition. I think that um, our strikers are good that we've got, but they are a little goal shy at the moment. And I want to see somebody with a little bit more clinical finishing. So that's my wish list. Hi, this is Tom. Uh, just reacting to the news of the, the takeover finally been done this morning. Uh, cautiously optimistic, I would say. I think the main thing for me is uh, it seemed fairly obvious that uh, if we stayed the way we were going, that we were going to lose the manager at some point. I don't think he would have renewed his contract. He's the most important thing at the club by far for me. And uh, I think this news makes it more likely that he'll stay from the noises we've heard. Uh, Pace and, and the Americans seem to like him and they want him to stay. So that's really good news for me. Hopefully they're going to back him, give him the reassurances that he would want to sign under the contract. Um, I like the idea of this money ball thing. It's worked really well for Brentford. I think it's the kind of model that a club like ours has got to follow. Buy low, sell high. We've done that in the past with players like Michael Keane. If we were ever to sell people like Tarkovsky, me, uh, McNeil, Pope, we'd get some serious money for them as well. So it's probably the sensible way to go in terms of a business model for a club of our size. Um, hopefully as well, a bit more cash now, a bit of money to spend uh, in the transfer window, back the manager bolster this squad, make sure that we do secure survival this season and then hopefully we're looking onwards and upwards and as I say, I think as long as we've got this manager at the helm and we can keep him happy and, and support him, then uh, the future looks bright for us. So, uh, yeah, as I say, cautiously optimistic. You never know with a new owner. You never know what's going to happen. So I'll wait and see um, their actions rather than the words. But um, Exciting times, interesting times. So, yeah, look forward to, to the next chapter and, uh, and look forward to the game on Sunday. Up the claret. Morning, everyone. Richard here, uh, just reacting to the very e exciting news about ALK Capital taking over uh, Burnley Football Club. Um, it feels like a really exciting new dawn and a new era for the club, which can hopefully see us really progress and you know and, and take the club to the next level um you know we've been crying out for you know for some kind of investment for a long time it's been painful the last couple well the last few transfer windows watching us scrimp and scrape trying to get players so it's just a breath of fresh air to hear alan pace on his interview this morning saying that you know he's going to put money into the squad um, you know, and like you said, it as you know, I think Tom mentioned as well, it gives us a massive chance of keeping Dice because I think ultimately his relationship with Garlic had broken down and he was probably going to leave the club at the end of his contract, at, you know, at the very latest. So, and it's also, you know, real positive to hear him talking about how they're going to, you know, still invest in the community, how, you know, Alan Pace and, and his um, colleagues are going to move to Lancashire to have a real hands-on approach. And just every, you listen, it's early days and we could be made to eat our words, but I'm very optimistic with everything he said and, you know, reading his background, etc. That is that he's really in it for the long term and, you know, he's going to grow the club into a real sustainable and successful, you know, Premier League club for years to come. Obviously, thanks to, you know, to Mike Garlic and the current board, I think, you know, for 90% of his tenure, he's done an unbelievable job and the club has outgrown him. You know, me personally, I said on my Twitter, I still, you know, there's always that little bitter, you know, taste that obviously the recruitment of the last few transfer windows has been shocking. But of course, you'd like to know the full story. But anyway, um, here's to the new and exciting new era of, uh, you know, for Burnley Football Club. Right, morning all. It's George here. Morning after the night before. Been taken over by ALK. Absolutely buzzing. Uh, this is, you know, it's just a, a new dawn for the club, really, isn't it? Mike Garlic and, you know, John B, fair enough. They've done an absolutely cracking job, along with, you know, Kilby before them. And they've set up the club and we're in, you know, the best position possible to kick on now. I, I think with the current squad, we'd survive pretty comfortably, just because I think Daesh is that good. But with fresh investment, fresh 
initiative and you know it's really exciting to look at the, the scouting network that it sounds like AOK are going to put into place with the the uh, AI technology and the apps they've got you know it really does sound exciting and it sounds like our recruitment's going to get a, a fresh overhaul so I'm excited to see what Daesh can do with that and just to see what Daesh can do with a bit of money and you know it's not we're not asking for the world here but just some fresh fresh initi initiative and just to, to kick on a bit and I think the Americans will bring that. They'll bring really good ambition and everything that Alan Pace and his team are saying, you know, rings true and it sounds good so far. So, yeah, it's nervous times for some people, but I think, you know, we've we've reached a point where we had to to source out for, for external investment and we've reached that. And I'm absolutely certain Garlic's got the best interest of the club at heart and he knows that this, this uh, investment group will only do good things for the club. So I'm absolutely buzzing. I can't even put into words how excited I am just to see, you know, where we can go from here. And, and I'm just, you know, in my head, just contrasting it to, you know, the Venkis at Blackburn and the doom and gloom they've had for the past decade. I mean, in contrast, if we can kick on now and, you know, become a top 10 team, you know, every so often, and you never know, sometimes have a miracle season like we did when we finished seventh. God, we've got, all, we've got the world at our feet, you know, absolutely can't wait. Bring on ALK and, you know, thank you, Alan Pace, for investing. Can't wait, up the clarets. A quick word before we go, um, and I'll come back to you, Rich, on this one. Um, the game against Fulham at the weekend is looking in jeopardy at the moment. They've called off their game against Spurs because they have had an outbreak of coronavirus positive tested uh, testings. Sheffield United were affected last night with a lot of positive ones as well, and there seems to be a growing shout for this Premier League circuit breaker where they stopped the Premier League for a couple of weeks um, to try and, and cut the number of positive tests. Where do you sit on with this one? Do you think do you think enough's been done? Do you think the whole country just needs to go in lockdown without being possible? I think yeah, <laughs> <laughs> try and stay away from that. But no, I, I think as me personally, I think every, everything's been taken away from people. You know, you know, we've been putting tier four, haven't we? You can't go to the pub. You know, you you can't go to the gym. A lot of people, you know, we're having to continue to work, whether that's from home. But you need a release. You know, you kind of you've got to think of people's mental health. I think football will carry on, and it should carry on unless it gets astronomically daft. I think the Premier League does have, you know, the testing took twice a week. I think they've got good protocols in place, and, and I think you know. Um, I think the the worry is maybe the EFL, you know, because they, you know, I think I think I've I've seen clubs have to fund their own testing, which, you know, I, I know the EFL seems a shambles at the moment. So me personally, I think the Premier League should carry on. I think City, I'm, there's something fishy about that City one. All of a sudden now they're back in training, but they didn't fancy playing Everton at Goodison Park when Everton were flying. I'd, listen, that's just maybe me a bit liking a bit of a conspiracy, but I still think there's something iffy. But yeah, I'm still kind of as long as the testing doesn't, as long as it doesn't go really, really high with players and and staff and, and and people at clubs, you know, where it gets out of proportion. I think the Premier League should carry on. Uh, one thing that they need to be is these daft autumn uh, friendlies in March. They need to get rid of because this because the crap anyway. So get rid of them friendlies. Uh, but yeah, for me, I think you know, sport and, and, and football in particular need you know needs needs to continue. I know for me um, personally, you know, I, you know, when I do go back to work after the Christmas break, if if I'm just working, 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 and there's no release, and there's no Burnley game, and there's yeah. no football to look forward to, and, and there's and there's and there's no gym to go to, I'd actually find that mentally difficult. So for me, I think as long as it is under control, which I think at the moment it's not daftly out of control. Yeah, I think it should continue. Final word from you then, George, a, a quick one on this potential um, missing game at the weekend. Which camp do you fall into? Do you fall into the camp that would rather play at the weekend and keep riding um, the crest of this positive winning wave that we're on at the moment? Or do you take the break to allow some of our injuries to come back? No, to be fair, if, if I was given the choice, I'd definitely say let's get this game played. Second game of the week at Turf, take the momentum, finish Fulham off, get ourselves up the up the table, you know, get the points on the board. I know we're all we've, we're already playing like a game behind everyone else, so I can't really mm -hmm. be bothered with us playing two games behind everyone else. You know, it just the, the league table never gives its true value to the 
to, to us then. So yeah, I definitely in, in camp play now, but obviously it's out of our controls and it's all up to our, our, how the the COVID's dealing with Fulham. Um, I, I'm I'm not against a two week like sort of break from it because at the end of the day, like it doesn't see you know the, the trend is going upwards. Let's say and okay, you might say last night um, it's it's in his favour to say this. I thought what Sam Allardyce said. Um, really rang true, you know how you know he's he's worried going to games. You know he's not a young a spring chicken himself, and and uh, obviously the cases are on the rise at the moment. You know the bubble's obviously burst. The the Premier League bubble has burst. You know all the all the protocols they're dealing with. So you know maybe if they can just take a two week break, you know get root out the cases and then go again. But I know the scheduling conflicts with the the um, the Euros next summer, so I don't personally see it happening. But yeah, let's get this game played, hopefully, and get another three points on the board. Definitely, before Fulham start getting better again, because they seem to be improving every game at the moment. So I'd quite like to be to beat them at the moment, because if we have to play this game in a month, you never know what Fulham uh, we might come up with. Um, that's all we've got time for then, folks. We have no idea at this moment in time whether we will be playing at the weekend, but for the time being, Burnley are on the up. We are out of the relegation zone. We have got a much better points tally than we had, and the team is looking good. And there, by the time we speak again, we may have new owners and maybe dissecting a, a whole new world for Burnley Football Club, which is exciting. Exciting times. I know from your social media comments and people who've approached us, I know that some fans are nervous about takeover. It's the first time that Burnley will be not owned by local businessmen and fans in their history, and that's a nervous time for some people. Um, my personal view for what it's worth, I'm excited by this opportunity. I think that we were always... Premier League success was inevitably going to mean that the club outgrew the available riches that local businessmen are able to to put into a club. And we need outside investment, which is what we've got. Um, So let's see what happens. I think we've got an exciting time ahead of us. Um, Again, Dave and I have not yet recorded the preview show for the Fulham game because we're going to keep an eye on that and see what happens with the fixtures. So you might speak to me and Dave on Friday, you might not do. Um, So keep an eye on social media and we will let you know when the next podcast will be out, either the preview show or the analysis show, um, and take it from there. In the meantime, please all stay safe. We hope you had a good festive period and we wish you all the very best for the new year. And my goodness, are we all ready to see the back of 2020 and welcome in brand new 2021. My thanks go to producer Matt for producing this podcast and getting it out there, to band Joyce for providing the theme music, um, to my colleagues Rich and George for being on the show tonight and providing such fantastic quality analysis of those two games against Leeds and Sheffield United. But my final thanks go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Until next time. Also, I just want to say I'm absolutely buzzing. Bring it on. Go on, Burnley. This is class. New dawn, new day. It's a new life. Bring on ALK. Bring on top 10. Bring on new signings. Can't wait. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.